1: a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening.
2: Would you like to hear a useless camel fact? I'm sorry, I should probably introduce myself. Uh, I am Lieutenant William McAllister, nicknamed Dromedary Bill McAllister, from the United States Camel Corps, formerly then became the Confederate Camel Corps, now I'm back to the United Earth Camel Corps point of it is I, I deal it's with kind of a lot challenge. of hobbies and um, <laughs> as such I have a lot of experience dealing with them and um, I, I picked up and learned a few things about them
3: and
2: um, here's a use of camel fact for you um, you
3: will never unhear this so many of
2: them <laughs> do you know what I can give them a you want, you want a flat one or a kind of a, a, a raunchy one we'll start with a black one camels are really smart uh, camels, when they sit down in the sand, they will always align themselves either directly due east or due west. They will never align themselves north or south. And do you know why? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what about the sun there? Dang, you get a point. Oh, wait, let me get my camel ding on. you can ring that bell. Why? Why with the sun? Because the sun, if they're east to west, the sun, if they're north south, the sun's going to hit one of them big woolly flanks, and this is going to bake them all day long. By sitting this way, you've got a leader profile, cuts down on the sunlight, keeps it cool. Smart. That's, that's Campbell, uses Campbell's fact number 17. Well, it does we're all here now, so I'm going to turn things over to the captain. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Captain Lord Tristan, and he will introduce the rest of the family. <laughs>
4: Yay. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, welcome to uh, Creating a Steampunk Persona with the Atlantean Foundation, and uh, this has been a panel that we we actually had never really thought about putting on a panel like this, but uh, we've been approached by a lot of folks over the years and, uh, you know, ask us about the characters that we create and uh, the performances that we bring to folks, and uh, uh, we figured, you know, why not uh, just share some of the techniques that we go through, especially when we have new members join that uh, that help create uh, the characters that we bring to life for you. And, you know, I know there have been panels like this, uh, you know, over over the years. And you know, many, many people have said, you know, some have been helpful, some haven't. We're not trying to do any of those folks. Uh, just our personal approach uh, to it. Now, is there anyone out there that has started to create their own persona yet? Uh, you've got sort of a work in progress on it and, and you're looking for just the next level to, uh, to go to that. Very good. And then there's some other folks I'm assuming that, probably, uh, you know, maybe have a name or a concept and would like to build on that. Is there some some there? How many of you here stumbled in here by accident thinking it was a buffet? (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's kind of what I figured, half the crowd. So... (laughs) But basically, the way that we go about character creation, and what I'm going to do is give you a a few insights into some of the steps that you can take. Uh, You know, it's, it's not a formal process. It really is almost a, a, a raw, etheric process to where you go where you want to go. There's no right or wrong way to create the persona that you want to create. Um, and I'm going to allow you to, to chat with some of the other members of the Atlantean Foundation, uh, and they're going to give you a little bit of insight into their characters. But first, I'd like to start by asking you a few questions. Sir, where did you go to high school? Escondido High School. So you knew that right off the bat. How about you, where did you go to college? Did you go to college? Uh, I didn't go to college. So where did school of hard knocks in? Where did you go to high school? Uh, Rincon. Help in uh, Arizona. Rincon. Where were you born? Either oh, one of you. Oh, San Diego. San Diego. Oh, me yeah. too. <laughs> so, you know, those kind of questions. You know, what was your mother's name? See, what? there you are. You don't have to think about those answers. You, you know those answers. And that's the essence of your character. It's not like you need to get all elaborate and everything. You need to start with two or three building blocks that are your steps that are then going to take you to the next step of your character. And the beginning of that is you need to decide on one or two major points in your life. So the first thing that most people don't really start with is a name. Think of a name that you want to call yourself. You can use your own name, you can use a different name. You can create, add a professor, add a doctor, add a, you know, captain, whatever you need to it. But there needs to be a story that leads up to that. If you're a professor, what are you a professor of? Well, then that leads to the next questions. And think of it almost like, you know, a family tree. But instead of pairing that with family members, you're pairing that with events that have sprung off just that one event. And sometimes that's all that it takes is that seminal event that creates the entire rest of the persona for you. Uh, some people say, oh, well, I don't have a name yet, but I want to be a mad scientist. <laughs> okay, great. I want to be an airship captain. Wonderful. You know, you can be really anything that you want to be, but it has to make sense. Now, a lot of that might be based upon the outfit and the outfit that you've put together for yourself, the, the costume, the clothing, whatever you want to call it, um, that has to make sense as well. Because, you know, if you're running around in, you know, a pair of, you know, coveralls and bare feet with grease stained all over your face, you're probably not going to be, you know, the czar of Russia. Um, So, and and it also has to make sense as well, because, you know, with steampunk, we get a lot more creativity than with typical reenactment, and that's really where most of us came to steampunk from. We came from reenactment into steampunk, and when we first got involved in steampunk, you know, we didn't know anything about it other than, you know, hey, it looks like fun. We'd seen a few movies, we, you know, talked to a few folks about it, but we figured, Boy, we better be prepared <coughs> so we need props we need clothing we need to have our personas together we need to just jump in we need tents and we need everything so and we had most of this stuff from our reenacting things but we had to make steampunk appropriate type things wow rerun so we showed up and people were like wow where did you guys start doing that well i mean everybody doesn't do this so it was a, it was a little bit of a surprise for us i have to say when we when we jumped in and found out that you know most people were coming from a con side of it and to where really all they did was dress up and they might have a name or you know a a, a one little gimmick or things like that but there wasn't a lot of that and that's kind of what uh, allowed us to become sort of like hey we know them but uh, you know it's been fun meeting folks and getting to know folks and some people have come on board and said hey let's create characters. But going back to that first initial seminal event, as I said, the one that's going to is kind of the, be the, the platform that's the, that sets your whole character off, that's entirely up to you. But a few things that I'll recommend. One, determine what time you want to be in. Because steampunk has time travel, and you know, not everyone is going to be a time traveler. You don't have to be a time traveler. You don't have to be a time traveling airship captain, ambassador of Luxembourg. I mean, don't try to overdo it as well. Keep it simple to begin with. Come up with, come up with a single concept. But timing is important, because even though it's... Uh, we, we, take, we approach our steampunk with a heavy dash of Victorian and a smattering of steampunk. Other people like to come at it from the other directions. Like they want all the sci-fi and everything and the wings and the jetpacks. And, you know, we have no problem with that whatsoever. But we just have ours. So we've actually interspersed Victorian, actual Victorian history, in with most of uh, what we do. But um, are any of you uh, familiar with the role-playing game out there called Deadlands? Deadlands is a wonderful example of what I like to use, and basically, what that happens in that game is Earth history is normal all the way up into the Battle of Gettysburg, and then a major changing of Earth-changing event happens on that day, which completely changes everything, and then history goes sideways. So that's something that we've kind of incorporated as well, because you know, Earth history pretty much we've done sort of the same thing. Earth history is pretty much the same right up through the Civil War. And then several discoveries and events that happened in our timeline have changed everything, which resulted in the invasion of Mars. Those of you who've been around, you've heard probably the stories and the songs about, you know, the Atlantean Foundation in our portion of, of participation in the invasion of Mars. But we decided that was an important event in our timeline. And this is something, as you sort of t- take this, this would be more of a 2.0 discussion, but it's now taking your personas and forming groups of personas. but and But it's the same, the basics are the same. So, what year do you want this to be? What year are you living in? Because if you want to have been, for example, at the Battle of Balaclava, where I was, then you need to be on the other side of the Crimean War. Um, And it needs to make sense for the age that you currently are. And you don't have to play your own age, but it does have to make sense. I mean, you know, if you've got a long white hair and beard, it's probably not any good going around telling people you're 16 unless some horrible experiment, and you need to have a story for that. And that's fine, but everything has to have a story, and those stories have to tie together and make a bit of sense. But as I say, you know, if there's major events that you want to have had shape your life, and as you go back and you do some historical research on the Victorian time period, you know, you'll you'll find one or two little things, and you do something that I like to call wiki surfing. You pop on Wikipedia, and you, because that's a, I know know people like to bash Wikipedia, but it's a wonderful jumping off point for research. It's not a great primary source, but it's a good source to get you to other sources, because they have this wonderful thing called a bibliography down there at the bottom. And that will give you books and websites and other places that you can go to get the information that you need. But, as I said, you find yourself a point in time that makes sense for you. That's one stepping off point that a lot of us use. For example, I decided there were certain life events that I wanted to have happen to me. And for the Atlantean Foundation, our nominal time is 1875. And so all of us are right in around there, maybe a year or two off here or there, but that's sort of our target timeline. And then everybody just sort of went backwards from there. And so, okay, well, you know, 1875, and, you know, I'm 30 years old, well, subtract 30 from 1875, now you have the year you were born. And that's something that you just commit to your memory. So when somebody's talking to you, you say, well, I was born, and where were you born? Are you American? Are you European? Are you Martian? I mean, where are you from? And I was born here in 1875. Pick a city, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to narrow it down because you'll do that as you go, as you continue to research a character. I was born in England in 1875. I was born in Germany in 1875, start there. Eventually you'll find a city that you like. And I was born in, you know, Berlin, Germany in 1875, you know, whatever. You, you pick the time and then you gradually distill it down to the finer points, but start with broad strokes. You don't have to design everything right off the bat. You know why? Because you're not gonna remember it at all. You need to remember five or six important things about yourself. And then what do you do now? Okay, well, I'm an airship pilot. All right, so between being born in you know, Berlin in 1835, or 1845, or whenever, and the date that it is now, how did you get from being born there to becoming an airship pilot? Well, I don't know. Okay, great, that's a fair, fair enough assessment. But what was the one event that made you become an airship pilot? Was it something you always wanted to be? You know, and you think back on your own personal life, and you can use your own personal experiences to kind of shape who your persona is going to be, because there's always going to be a bit of you in your persona. I mean, unless you're an Oscar-winning actor, uh, that's, you know, there's always going to be a very strong bit of you in your persona. And so you can use things that happen to you, maybe things even unpleasant in your life, that you're still trying to cope with. You can have fun with those now, you know? Maybe you had a rough childhood. Well, maybe your persona had a rough childhood, you know? Grew up as an orphan on the streets in London, sure. You know, your parents were so horrible they put you in a workhouse. Well, there you are. You started out in a workhouse. How'd you get out of that workhouse? And you just start asking yourself questions. And that really is the basis of, you know, your character. For example, my character, my persona, Captain Tristan Wolfe, he was raised in the military, basically. Father was a surgeon. Father went off to India in the India campaigns um, and uh, was part of the disastrous retreat out of that, where his mother was killed during that because officers would often have their families with them. And that was a whole, you know, so as, as, as we retreated over the mountains during the dead of the winter, and, you know, we're fighting that entire way, you know, and that's an actual event. I just happened to insert that. Now, how many of you out here are fans of historical fiction, right? You know, Sharp, Bernard Cornwell, one of my favorites, you know, Sharp's Rifles, that sort of thing, Archer's Tale. You know, he's a master of that sort of thing. And that's all you need to do is pick a few historical events that you like to have your character be involved in. And then insert yourself into those. How were you involved there? Now, obviously, some of them you have to be a bit careful about. Well, I was at the siege of the animal. Damn, sorry that you're dead. (laughs) Oh, wait, I was on the the Mexican side. You know, okay, fair enough. (laughs) Or perhaps, you know, in, in all of the confusion, you know, a body fell on top of you and you were laying in a ditch off to the side, you know, you fell off a wall, rolled down a hill and ended up in a ditch. Historians didn't know anything; no, wouldn't know if that happened to you. That's just fine. But come up for the reason why you survived that. You know, I was involved in a horrible airship crash. That's how I got this horrible scar right here on my left <laughs> <laughs> just, You know, those sorts of things. You just come up with the, come up with the events that have shaped your life. So I don't want to do all the talking here, and I keep looking at this as if it's a watch. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, new birthday present.
2: Nice. Oh, nice.
4: <laughs> So, I'm going to introduce you to a few members of the Atlantic Foundation. I'm going to give allow each of them to share with you just a few events, a few tidbits of their persona, just to give you a few ideas, perhaps. Now, before I do that, does anyone have any specific questions about anything I've said thus far? Are you following me? Do you understand where I'm saying that, you know, you pick the events, you pick the things that shaped your life because that's exactly what's made you who you are today. And that's all you're really doing is you're creating a slightly different version of yourself in a different time with different, perhaps different skills, things of that. But you don't have to know how to fix an airship. All you need to know is about five or six terms that you can spout off to somebody who doesn't know how to fix an airship. And guess what? You sound like you know how to fix an airship. So... I'm going to introduce, this is a lady of O'Shea, and uh, she's another one of our founding members of the Atlantean Foundation. Uh, she's a professor of theology and parabiology. So I'll allow her to uh, give you a few brief, uh, just tidbits about herself and uh, how she came up with this mm-hmm. thing.
5: Well, basically, I went back and I'm from Nury County Armagh, Ireland. So I kept that the same. Mm-hmm. I'm actually from a small village just outside of Newry. So born in Ireland, lived in Ireland. My father was a professor, so I went into the same profession that he did, because he very much felt that women should be educated just the same as men. And so followed uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, and uh, her ideas for a lot of that um, was, was what I was raised on. So I... Was a professional scholar for a while. Um, got um, approached by Captain Wolf. and uh, that's some of the, the basics of my life. But well, as a um, professional yes, so scholar, though, so what did you study? I studied folklore to start, so the folklore of Ireland, and since. The Irish are very much involved with the Fae and have so many different stories about the Fae. That was something that played right into um, studying all of the old stories first, and then I started branching out into, all right, well, there's somebody who's actually studying the Fae, let's let's go and see what she's got going on. And so that's where
4: where a lot of that started. And this leads into Cross. Um, which, which is an excellent segue, because as two of the first things she purchased, because all of the Atlanteans, what they have to do is contribute artifacts to our collection that is in an area of their expertise. That's one of the prerequisites for joining the Atlantean Foundation. And two of the items that she acquired very first were Lady Coddington's Book of Press Fairies and her second Book of Press Fairies, and tied that into your storyline.
5: Right, exactly.
4: As investigating the work of Lady Coddington, who only recently has disappeared. So part so of her... Not,
5: we, we believe that she may have fell afoul of some of the, the fame that she was studying because the fame are tricksy. And,
4: um, and this this was simply just, I like these books, I want to incorporate them, now I need a, you know... well. And somebody asked her one day, well, what happened to Lady Coddington? Oh, well, she's vanished. And sometimes <laughs> your character can morph just like that. Mm-hmm. And Now, how many of you have been to our Atlantean suite or to the Atlantean... Uh, displays and, and heard the, the, the spiel that we do for you and give you the tour of all the exhibits? And A few of you? Okay, well, you know we don't have the full display out this time, but uh, if, if some of you would like a tour, just let us know and we'd be happy to give you the tour of the displays that we do have out. Um, a lot of that started with us at the very last minute for one of the first events we did, putting a whole bunch of things together and then just setting them out. And we didn't really think people would have as many questions as they did, <laughs> but they had a lot of questions.
5: And so and we started making up stories. There, there is, is Atlantean canon it?
4: that started with me there drinking whiskey, going, "Well, that's um, this frog, you see," and it came out. In the end. <laughs> and so there's there like I said, there's Atlantean canon that newer members they have no idea that we didn't sit around writing this stuff for hours. It was basically me going. Yeah, I'm just gonna make up something about that for you, and some of those stories have even changed over the time. And that's fine to do that with your characters. web. Well. Because you know, I mean, if, obviously, if you're gonna change major things, that's gonna be you know noticeable to other folks. But you come up with a reason why. I don't know. Maybe you have a doppelganger or something. Something. Okay. But um, let's uh, squeak. Absolutely. Yeah. This is Flight Officer Squeak.
3: She Gosh. pilots flight.
4: Yes, first flight officer Sweet, who pilots the Osprey. The Osprey is our airship.
3: And yeah, it's it's a bit of a of a madcap uh, adventure. As um, I'm
4: sorry. Make it a good. brief madcap adventure.
3: <laughs> well, uh, to say the least, we don't actually know where I was born. Uh, I was born somewhere on a train from about New York to about Mississippi. Um, <laughs> It all gets a bit wishy-washy. My father was actually a retired uh, ballooner's officer from the U.S. Balloon Corps. Yes, like hot air balloon. Um, And a bit of a tinkerer, understandably, because technology was not that good, so...
4: How did you become a pilot?
3: I became a pilot because of him, actually, because of my dad. Um, My dad and my mom, when my dad retired, my dad didn't want to stop flying. So... He just kept flying, and when I was born, oh look, all three of us are flying. You, you're small, fit in that. Go go, twist that knob. Okay. Here, you know, I, I need to go. So you sort of learn by accident. Yeah, pretty much. I need to go do something in the back, hold the controls. Okay! <laughs> and that's a lot how I learned how to fly, and um, why it's not I mean, necessarily a comfortable fly, experience. Yes, actually, my dad was the one who invented the Foxbat prototype. The Foxbat prototype is a somewhat jet-powered hang glider almost type
2: Designed
4: for boarding actions between airships.
3: Yes. Um, My mom and my dad used it for stunt actions. They went around the country doing stunt shows with them. Um, And then when we went to Mars, um, the government basically put out an ad in a newspaper: "All pilots, please apply." Nobody applied but me. That's probably <laughs>
4: because the last twelve of them that tried to test fly the new foxbat were killed.
3: Well, you know, you know, I can't help user error. <laughs> there you
4: go. All right. So, anyways, it, it, so her piloting skills acquired by accident, not formally trained. You know, you you can have all sorts of different things, however you, you know you'd like. Your stories can be happy; they can be tragic. Lord and Lady Sterling, would the two of you care to uh, speak a little bit for a few moments about uh, who you are and how you came about joining the Atlantean Foundation?
6: Good afternoon. My name is Lord John Sterling, 7th Baron Sterling. Uh, I was born in Ireland in 1826. Uh, My father, Robert James Sterling, was the 4th Baron Sterling. I was homeschooled in the uh, Low Essex Castle in Donegal, Ireland. Uh, I was educated privately by tutors to Cambridge University, did a short stint in uh, Her Majesty's Navy. But however, because of my rather strong opinion and rather vocal, often very vocal opinion of the uh, my home country of Ireland, well, I was told with no uncertain uh, doubt that I had no real future with the senior service. So the Navy politely asked me to... I have a
7: you yeah. here. Yes, they, they
6: gave me the boot as it were. Well, you um, got put on half pay. Sorry?
5: Half pay, wasn't it, Lord Sterling?
6: Oh, no. No, thank you. Right out the door. Um, not
5: even half day. It was half day,
6: and then they took half of that to Now, because I was the second son, I have an older brother, uh, Thomas Roy Sterling. Uh, when my father passed, uh, he became the fifth Baron Sterling. Uh, he had a son, Liam. I was not in the succession. I decided to make my fortune. Uh, in the colonies. Uh, Shortly after graduation from from Cambridge, I was in London and uh, walking on the street and and happened upon a gentleman being accosted by ruffians. Well, I thought this was most inappropriate. I took my walking stick and deftly applied it to the ruffians chasing them off. Well, this gentleman was uh, most grateful for my assistance Uh, Turned out he was James Buchanan, the U.S. ambassador to England at the time, later became President Buchanan. So when I came to America, he offered me a position, he promised that he would would, uh, show his gratitude one day, and he did. He offered me a position with the United States Marshals Service, and I became a U.S. Marshal. Um, An Irishman under the British Crown serving as a US Marshal. Uh, and it was during that time as a US Marshal that I met the love of my life. Emma Payne. Emma Payne Sterling. <laughs> uh, I
7: am Emma Rose Payne originally. And uh, I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, My father, William, is a harbor pilot. So he goes out and he helps guide the ships into New York Harbor. So he used to take me out on the ships with him and uh, taught me how to sail, taught me about all the different ships. I fell in love with the ocean. And and one day, I, I swear to you, I saw a mermaid, which got me very interested in what was out there. And then let's see, oh yes. I married my ex-husband, my late, late husband. Yes, uh, he was a marine sergeant. So, uh, me being at the docks quite a bit, meet quite a few sailors, and...
5: <laughs> and uh,
7: we got married, and it was going all swimmingly for a while, and then he started acting strangely, spending a lot of time away, and so I got curious and started following him and i found out he was well spending time with some gentlemen who were from the south and were very much believers in secession and then well the civil war started <coughs> and so i he left and i followed him and i gathered a evidence that he was a southern sympathizer and spy and just as i was about to round on him and tell him that this was not well at all. I was, well, grabbed by a Pinkerton agent by the name of Kate Warren, who was Alan Pinkerton's only female agent, agent at that time. She told me to, well, shut my trap, and uh, but was very impressed with the evidence I'd collected. So, uh, based on that evidence and what she had collected, uh, he was court-martialed and executed as a so That's very sad. It, well, you know, very not very bastard. Sad, know. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't. It's almost like she's smiling there. <laughs> well, you, you have to wonder.
4: Mm. <laughs> Poor fella. So,
7: uh, but then after that,
4: I think Kate offered me a, a job. Quick way for him now
7: that <laughs> <laughs> but then after that, Kate offered me a job with her new women's division of the Pinkerton Agency. So I uh, helped spy for the the North during the Civil War, and then uh, about a year later, I got assigned as partner to a U.S.
4: Marshal. (laughs) (laughs) The rest, as they say, is... Well, my my question then is, how was a U.S. Marshal and a Pinkerton? Did you get a Lord and Lady in front of your name? Well,
6: unfortunately, during the the war between the states, my father passed. I wasn't aware of it. The mail did not catch up to me for quite some time. Emma and I worked together uh, under General McLennan and the intelligence service uh, hunting down Confederate spies.
7: Because I became quite good at it.
6: The war ended, um, we became quite fond of each other as it were, <laughs> and um, I do, asked her to marry me and took her to Ireland to meet my family. Well. Um, Again, message passed. Turned out that my brother had passed from a heart attack, making his 16-year-old son, Liam, the sixth Baron Sterling. Liam, while we were en route, had a riding accident, fell off his horse while he was jumping, broke his neck, and died. Thus, leaving me to take up the family duty, and become the 7th Baron Sterling. Now, the The authorities in Washington are still trying to figure out how a U.S. marshal and an English baron living in Ireland works together. We're still
4: working on that. (laughs) Thanks. As you can see, the Atlantean Foundation, we're a a multinational organization. We we have members that are in America. We have members that are in Great Britain, uh, England, Ireland. We actually also have an Australian division. They're not here with us today, but uh, but we do have an Australian division as well. And uh, so we travel about the world and uh, uncover different things. Is matter of fact, uh, diving bell Hunley here, another of our uh, another of our members. Your minions are calling. <laughs> They probably have something nefarious planned.
3: <laughs>
4: Would you care to give them a, a, some brief insights into who you are? I and, will uh, you for that you. Yet. seem to be captured during like your own <laughs> <attraction, hopefully laughs> something that. Be?
1: So I'm um, Davin Bell Hunley, and my daddy was the inventor, actually, of the Hunley, the first uh, Percival, um back during the uh, Civil War. And... Uh, well, unfortunately, he um, he did die. It went down and never came back up. But um, I learned a lot from that, and he used to always let me help him work on things, so I kind of had an idea of how to redesign the whole thing. And I came up with a diving bell, so it actually works uh, with our submarine that we have. Oh, yeah, we yeah. have.
4: Oh, yeah. Yes. They have a summary.
1: <laughs> that said that. Right. So So uh, for a really deep, deep down exploration, I have a diving bell that's connected.
4: You and it goes down like
2: that. It goes down deep. Up.
4: I've heard that. Here, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so th- there I have uh, gained quite a few artifacts that I've found from, uh, from way down under the under the ocean and the mysterious be depths.
3: Which, yes. By the way, one of the stated goals
4: of the Atlantean Foundation is
3: finding the lost city of Atlantis.
4: And And we've been looking and those are things that you know you can incorporate into your own personas as well. Now we don't want to just spend the whole time telling you about ourselves, but we do hope that just some of the things that we've told you and some of the twists and turns in people's lives, much as we have those in our own everyday lives, uh, you know, I'm sure many of you look back upon your life and you kind of sometimes wonder, how the hell did I get where I am right now? I mean, you know, you think about things that you wanted to do when you were younger and you had all these plans and everything and then Plans change, and you can apply those same types of things to your to your persona. But you know, hopefully, your persona is somebody who you want to be, because sometimes people end up in places in their lives where they're not particularly happy for a while, and this is an escape for many folks. So don't feel that you have to create you know horrible events where your parents died and things like that in your persona. I mean, your parents <coughs> can be alive and well and living in pitch. It's fine, and uh, um, you know. Sorry, I'm building into black at her now. <laughs> <laughs> your mother's know, not dead. She's alive and well, living in with, shacked up with your old Henry. Right <laughs> 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 I only told you that to soften the blow. <laughs> anyway, so, but anyway, you know, and take inspiration from, from anywhere. Feel free to steal blatantly. And that's the beautiful <laughs> thing about the steampunk hobby, is any, and we've done a bit of that. You know, there's certain films that are required viewing in the Atlantean Foundation. Some of you might have guessed Stargate is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> the mummy is another one you know there's there's and, and we borrowed heavily from all of that sort of adventure pulp fiction type of stuff out there and you know you could borrow from the science fiction portion you know the journey to the center of the earth which we actually have a member who's related to the fellow who made the journey to the center of the earth and this is only about half of our membership right here now you know they were talking about how you know they have a submersible well, we have an inventor who actually invented that submersible. And he invented many wonderful things that he just couldn't build. because. No, I I but, machine. but, you know, they were they, they were looking at, you know, through some of his drawings one day. And they said, what's that? And he says, oh, it's a submersible. You've built a submersible? Oh, no, it would be far too expensive to build. And, you know, but, you know, I could, I could build it. And, you know, but, you know, when you go from being a U.S. marshal to a baron, you get a bit of a pay raise. <laughs> and, and yes. you know.
7: Th- that's when I just looked at him ha- and I said, Darling, buy me this.
6: <laughs> and, he
4: saw, and of course I
6: did.
4: You know, and, he, and he says, you know, all right, Wonka, how much, I mean, no, all right, let me, how much for the submersible? <laughs> probably be about, you know, one to two million pounds. And he said, so well, you take a chick. <laughs> And so, you know, little things like that to tie your persona into other people's persona. And that's half of the fun. Is once you have the basics of your own persona, you can create the relationships. Because this is what really life is about and what your stories are about. Because if I were to ask any one of you, and you know, just think about it right now, what are some of your favorite moments in life? What are some of your favorite stories? What are the ones that when you think of they make you laugh? They most likely involve your friends or people that were your friends or weren't your friends at the time but are now. <laughs> And that's really what ties everything together. And the fact that we all know each other's stories, and we don't know all of them. I mean, we know bits and pieces, but we learn a little bit about each other each time we do a talk, or each time we hear one, each other speaking to other people about who we are, and it just becomes natural at that point. You know? I was born in Cork, Ireland. It's you know, very plain and simple. If you ask me where were you born, I was born in Cork, Ireland. You know, my father was a soldier, he was a surgeon in the army. You know, I know these things about me. Because there are things that happen to me and you need to come up with these details. And that's why I say start small. Start with three, four, half a dozen the key similar moments of your life that you know, and then improvise the rest. And then if you decide that's not fitting well, change it. You know, there's nothing set in stone here. No one's gonna hold you to that for the most part, unless you know, you have an adoring fan of people that follow your fan fiction or something, and then they might get a little upset because those folks are vicious. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> 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 uh, So, uh, you know, it's those types of things that allow you to create your own persona. But remember the key points, the the key things that make you who you are, the time in your life, you know, you are how old you are in reality. There's nothing that's going to change that unless science advances very rapidly over the next few years. You are how old you are. Or you lie like I do. (laughs)
5: and go within five years either direction it it, it can be within 10 years
4: as long as you have a reason for how old you are but in your reality in the reality of you who you are in this world you are how old you are so there's nothing that's going to change that you know you've you've been where you've been you grew up where you grew up now and also think about some realistic things for example if you want to play a character who's german you should work on cultivating passable German accent because if you walk around just talking in your ordinary American accent and you know you say I'm from Germany well you certainly sound funny you know <laughs> for being from Germany and it doesn't have to be a good German accent I mean just work on it a bit and it doesn't have to be perfect from the start but don't be embarrassed about it you know and if somebody says well your accent doesn't sound German it's just what well, it's been colored by many travels great Johnny Depp like that. <laughs> it's though. It has, and, you know, but think about that as well. So, you know, if, if you're not comfortable trying to affect an accent, don't play a foreign character. <laughs> you know, uh, come up with, you know, a reason. Now, if you want to have spent time in a country, absolutely, and there's, you know, many of us who were born in one place but have spent time in many other places. And, you know, not all of us just up and joined the Atlantean Foundation. The Atlantean Foundation was, has a staggered membership. You know, the Atlantean Foundation begun when, you know, I as part of my military career led an expedition to Egypt and uh, we encountered the city of Hominoptera. Some of you are probably already familiar with this story. So you can tell where I've borrowed a bit of mine. That expedition ended horribly in failure. And when I came back home, horse guards offered me the opportunity to retire. Yes? Basically, you can retire or you can be court-martialed. And the only reason I was allowed to retire and not be court-martialed is because I come from a landed family. And, you know, if I was just any, you know, old simple soldier, I I would have probably been flogged and court-martialed. But, you know, and, but I was convinced that I was right. And so I approached an Egyptologist who was known for having, you know, ideas that didn't conform to the standard scientific community. Um, and that's Cutter. He's not here with us today, our Egyptologist. And but he suggested several other folks who would be o- would be perhaps open minded to an expedition that might sound a bit crazy on the surface. We're going to go to Egypt, and we're going to find the city of the dead. I can't tell you exactly where it is, but I've got a fairly decent idea within a few hundred miles in each direction. Correct. In the desert. In the desert. And so you know, this was you know, and. Somebody, obviously, who studies fairy creatures for a living is probably a little more open-minded than your average scientist. And so we put together a few individuals, and that's what we did. And it was that expedition to Hominopter, the successful second expedition, and the the artifacts and treasures that we returned with for the good of science that were also rather good for our pocketbook, because museums pay excellent money for things like that, by the way, (laughs) that um, funded the Atlantean Foundation. It purchased our airship. It purchased our headquarters and you know those sorts of things and allowed us to then supply ourselves and prepare ourselves for future adventures. And those are the types of little things where you know, that is how she and I met. That is how you know, our professor of Egyptology met. And then you know, other adventures, people that uh, when we had the grand opening, when we had our first display of these artifacts, many people came to that because people were curious and wanted to see these things. And that's when people said, what is it your organization does and how can I be part of it? Uh, you know, And there are some folks, for example, Lady Sid, you know, she she does like to accompany us on some of her, our adventures, but she also likes to be very comfortable. Her husband has uh, done a wonderful job of earning obscene amounts of money, and uh, but you know, in order to be, she she's 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 very enamored of our stories, very enamored of our parties, and very enamored of going on adventures that don't require her walking too far from the airship. And so we're
3: trying to fly it. Correct. <laughs> Sorry.
4: And you know, but. Not everyone has to be a swashbuckling air pirate or anything. You can be something very simple. And Basically, it's, what do you do? I write checks. I
3: love the Lady Sterling. I give them their funds.
4: Correct. And so, you know, those are the various people that have, that have brought their own personal take on, you know, things that we do. You know, we have a librarian our, 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 who is also a... How many different sciences are you... <laughs> it's, it's, it's you. Anthropology.
8: It's a social story, um, but based on my background and, and my personal experience, um, I wasn't actually formally educated, but my father taught at boys' school, and my mother, once she became poorly, so I didn't actually move home. I stayed home for many, many years. So she finally passed. But at the time, then I had to employ myself, and so with the experience that I actually had, I, I actually applied there as an employee. <laughs> initially um, because I'm very good at administrative work and that sort of thing and I have it, the interest in mm-hmm. history and Professor Whitney had developed fantastic time machine so I thought perhaps I might be able to tie that a little bit on the side of the day off you know and in the process though we've developed a need for a character so I have worked in international character a foundation which I have more of a more of an administrator position
3: Foundation, also allows If we have a question about where we're going in time, <laughs> we ask her. Right. What do we do well, when we, we get, get there? there? Well, it's <laughs> it's more a more a case
5: of more a case of we consult Marie when we want to make sure that we're going to fit in with the locals once we get there, which we do quite a bit of. Right. And we don't want to. We don't want to go in our modern clothes um, for, for that. So we want to, we want to we
4: fit know. in when we're t- traveling a bit too time because when there are the certain periods of time funny. where if you show up in funny clothes, there's an excellent chance you'll be burned at the stake. <laughs> <laughs> now, as you Which notice, we to talk to about talk each other a lot. You know, We under, we know each other's stories because you know we, we've we participated in each other's stories, but also because we've helped each other design our stories, be open to outside influence as well. I mean, some other, some people's ideas are complete and total shite. I get it. You don't want to use those. But other folks, they might have some great contributions to where you're going. Now, a few folks earlier raised their hands when I asked, you know, how many of you started creating your own steampunk persona? I believe you folks had said you had, correct? <laughs> yes. So where, do you have names? Do you have employment? What's, who are you? <laughs>
3: I, I don't mean to put you
4: on the spot
0: you're on the spot. No, totally on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> basically, I my persona is Agent James Henry Holliday. I'm a distant cousin of Doc Holliday. And I actually... now are you a doctor? Unfortunately, no. That was my that was my distant cousin. I see. He was friends with Walker, but I can tell you one persona at the time is basically I was born in Philadelphia, a very wealthy, very privileged family. We were Actually, my father was a veteran of the war. We were basically military, so to speak. And later, my father decided to admit me to West Point. So I was in the class of 1844, along with my brother. And we fought in the Mexican War. And later, I was employed in the, in the government as probably as a first officer at the time. This was a police work because I was actually well I was actually well qualified because I had the skills of a scout. I was actually very good with a little disguise, understanding the terrain of the land. And then later, right at the time before the Civil War, I was approached by a certain Alan Pinkerton.
8: (laughs) And he (laughs) asked
0: me to join as a Pinkerton because there were certain uh, secession movements going on.
4: Well, now, do you mind if I interject? Um, So, wonderful. So, you you two now have just discovered hey, we both worked in the Pinkerton. You say, "Oh, well, where did you work? Where did we did we meet? Perhaps I just wore a lot of disguises, that sort of thing." I and mean, this allows for fun conversations with folks because when multiple people have have personas created, and you know about the events of your life, and suddenly you find someone else who is there at another event of your life. Well, where were you? Did we meet? I remember you now. You know, that's it allows for some really fun moments that you can create where it's more than just you know. I come to a convention, I dress funny, I listen to a few people talk, I drink some and then I go home. Um, so, so now, so. If would, you, would, you open, would you be open to a suggestion? Now, and I realize this might it have each, been just because we were talking about, uh, about per, this is a persona workshop. But unless you are in a persona workshop or in a creation process, never refer to it as my persona. You step into it and it is I. And I know that feels weird when you first start it. Actors have to really work very hard at that to get themselves into the eye, and you know some people refer to it as their character process, you know their breathing process, method acting, however you want to call it. But when you when 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 you when you put on those clothes, you are your name again, Agent James Holiday. You are Agent James Holiday. So it's when somebody asks who are you, you don't say my persona is. You say Agent James Holiday. Pleasure to meet you, and you know then and that way. You've, become, you've taken the first step into becoming yourself. Now, you have an excellent grasp of the events of your life. Very impressive, much much, much more so than most of the folks that we talk to because what kind of prompted this workshop was a lot of people will get into a conversation with and about three sentences in, well, I'm just a steampunk time traveler,
0: <laughs>
8: you
4: know? Because they've reached the end of what they know and they're kind of afraid to just make something up on the spot. But again, it's not an indelible ink. We're not freezing that in carbonite for you, all right? You can change that if you decide you don't like it later. Feel free to create on the spot. That is one of the hardest things for many people when creating their character because they think it's like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Once I put it on the sheet, I'm stuck with it. No, no it's not. Your character sheet is here. And the only person that it really matters to is yourself. So you've got an excellent grasp of some of the events that have shaped your life. Now, you went to West Point, yes. correct? How would you feel about that?
0: Well, it was a really great honor for me as my family is actually abolitionists. Of course, it was a great honor. Did you enjoy it? As much as a soldier, at first I was a little reluctant, but I made friends with a certain Ulysses S. Grant, who later I will be serving in the Civil War under, that being a soldier and a gentleman, that's where I suddenly became a gentleman out of
4: West Point. Now, yeah. did you know that until I asked you that question? Or are you just pretty good at coming up with things off the cuff? Oh, no. So you knew that before I asked you that question. Excellent. Because that's the next step, is once you have the things that happened to you, how did you feel about those? Did they make you happy? Did they make you sad? Because, okay, I went to West Point. Well, wonderful. Congratulations. What a great honor. Well, actually, my father made me go. I hated every moment of it. You know, it, it could be that. It could, you know, but those are the things that are going to take your character to the next level of depth. And eventually you'll be able to talk with someone about your persona as easily as you're able to talk with them about you, who you are in your ordinary nine-to-five workday, everyday, you know, thing. Because when they ask you things, not only will you be able to respond with, you know, what you've done, but how you felt about that. And you can bring some emotion to your character, which is what brings depth, which is what brings believability. Because simply rattling off a succession of names and dates and places you've been, you know... What's that? that I'm going to get to her in just a moment. I'm, I'm, I'm just dwelling on that now. Save because best for last. He's on So, no, I was not ignoring her at all. But I wanted to deal with a few of the things that he has said. And now, of course, I'd like to know a bit about you. Okay, so, I'm
8: Annabelle Lee Howard. And my profession is that I'm a scientist. I dabble in biology, chemistry, a little bit of botany at point and I'm also an occultist, that's my night job.
5: (laughs) (laughs) As one does. Mm
3: -hmm. So, how do you feel about Mr. Darwin's new theory? Absolutely brilliant.
5: Totally plausible. The empirical evidence is there. Have you gone into Mrs. Blotsky? I'm afraid I have not. Probably just as well. (laughs) 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 And,
4: and, and so now you've got a very good grasp of, uh, of who you are. Especially. Now I'm trying to pursue medical studies, and uh, there's so much
8: more to me than being just a scientist. I'm also an avid reader of Victorian and post-Victorian literature, hence my name's.
4: Excellent, very nice.
0: Actually, that's when, about around the 1850s, that's when I met her and grew fond of her.
4: So now what time period are you in? In your in your in your timeline, we're basically from around eighteen forties till nineteen. but uh, do you just travel back and forth through time, or okay. is there is there a, what I mean like what time is it right now for you? What what year is this that we're living in today? Well, right now we are in eighteen sixty five, July eighteen sixty five. So um, again, are you open to uh, just a, a suggestion? Yes. <laughs> So, and, and I'm not sure if you were tying this a little bit in with, you know, your actual self and tying it in, but you said you, you read Victorian and post-Victorian literature, but there is no post-Victorian literature yet, because we're in the 1860s. We're still in the Victorian period. Um, and, you know, even Victorian literature at that time, I enjoy modern literature.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Any knowledge. <laughs> of course. So, no, but both of you, very wonderful. Thank you very much for
4: standing up and sharing with <laughs> and, uh, like i said if you'd like to if, if you'd like to come by and tell us some more about your characters a bit later about your personas we'd love to have you to the Atlantean suite and uh share a drink with us and uh show you some of the artifacts and this oh, no. extends Somebody to anyone in here. uh days. the Ad- the Atlantean suite is not going to be open as much as it has been in years past but we're in room 2208 which is if you know where the con suite is it's the room directly above that. So you just go up to the second floor, and we're right on that corner there above the con suite. There's a big Atlantean symbol mirror. And those of you who have seen the Atlantean symbol right there, which is also the, uh, the symbol for Earth, because we believe that the, uh, the city of Atlantis actually was an alien civilization, because on Mars, we found a, a, an amazing piece of stone on Mars. It was the red Martian rock. Now, how many of you have heard of the Rosetta Stone? An amazing find of science, correct? Allowed for the translation of many languages. Well, there was an exact copy of the Rosetta stone on Mars, or at least a fragment of it, but with one extra language in it. And this was a symbol that appeared repeatedly in that language. And from what we were able to decipher, this was a symbol for (laughs) that civilization's home on our planet. And so we found this symbol intermixed with Egyptian hieroglyphs in the city of Hamanatra. Um and so that is what that is what sparked our journey to find the seat of this alien civilization on our planet which so far we've been unsuccessful in locating but we're confident that one day we will uh, in the meantime we've had many other wonderful adventures and uh, we'd be happy to tell you about those at some other time but right now it's more about you know you folks now Lord Sterling you said you had something that you can add a few other stepping off points and- uh, indeed um State. No. That was
8: not me I'm going,
6: to, I'm going to step out of Lord Sterling for just a minute. My real first name is Michael. I'm retired from one of the yes. One of the major law enforcement agencies here in Southern California. That's the television way of describing that. I can't tell you who it was. Um, how did I come up with Lord Sterling? I went for the first time to a Civil War event out in Simi Valley. I was dressed in Victorian proper, tailcoat, top hat, as I will be dressed on Sunday. Um, people thought I was part of the reenactment, having been a Renaissance Fair reenactor for years and years and years and years. Somebody walked up to me and basically said, Hi, well, good morning. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you so much. I will be very brief. Asked me. Who are you? Um, And I made up John Sterling off the top of my head. Um, My name is John, and I looked at the top of my cane that I was carrying, which was made of sterling silver. I'm John Sterling. I am the unofficial representative of Queen Victoria because, as you know, England has not chosen a side in your little conflict between your states. That was the stepping off point for my character, as Captain Wolf so eloquently said. You st- I started with a here and this point. Where does it go back to? So I mean, I figure I'm about this old. So I'm going to be born about this year. Um, how did I become a baron? How now? I didn't. John Sterling didn't start as a baron. That was a creation. He became a marshal first, became a baron, and in reality, as I built the story, but um, any spark can be the beginning of a new and wonderful character. Don't be afraid to just let it catch.
0: Howdy,
2: y'all. It's nice to see you
0: again.
2: Um, (laughs) I'd like to talk for a moment about, about stuff. But that sort of seems to be the final component. Uh, for me, my story started with uh, an episode of Mysteries at the Museum, at, uh, one of these here bells. Mm-hmm. This is an actual chemical bell that they told a great story. If you've ever seen the episode about the red ghost. Now, I'm not gonna waste your time talking about the red ghost, but if you come up to the suite, I'll be happy to waste some of your time there. <laughs> now, but it all started with this thing. And when I started joining the guild and, and talking to our members, um, they said, which well, you, you got to make sure you you look the part." And so, uh, one of the things that, that kind of is whimsical to me and funny um, is, are you walk up to people and like, "Sir, well, I see you're a military man. You got some ribbons on you. What did you do? How did you win those?" I, said, I don't know. They're just cool. I, I made them. Yeah, I made them myself. I made them. That's that. That's a cool answer. And as a crafter, I love building, and it's neat to see people making things. Something I love about steampunk movement is the making things. But why are you wearing? Why are you wearing goggles? Why do you have goggles? Well, I just came back from the Martian campaign. When I'm not traveling the Atlanteans, I'm I'm training camel troops on Mars. So I just got back, and I damn, I forgot the things are even on my hat. But it's sandy on Mars.
4: You know? Oh, that's why, why?
3: Them I, camels have sun
4: and you know <laughs> Bill brings up a great point is that you know we've a lot of us come at this from a reenactor or a theatrical background but not everybody is in steampunk and there are a lot of brilliant makers that are here brilliant storytellers and for if you're a maker then perhaps it's some of your props and items that are the, are the stepping off point you know because those will need stories as well as a matter of fact you know they for me, for me as a maker, I take it out on my
2: daughter. <laughs> I mean, I make her all the crazy jetpacks and all that because
4: Bill's not that kind of person. And, and her entire persona basically came out of, you know, she says, I want a giant pokeball that smoke comes out of. Okay, and he, he's like, all right, I'll build that. Well, why do you have? And then, so she ended up with, you know, all of these interesting inventions and things that, that were made for her, and her character morphed, her persona morphed out of that. So, you know, she's Katie Dang. The president of Dang Industries, and you know, her parents both, invent- uh, you know, inventors as well. Sadly, killed in a horrible lab accident, and so now she is the, you know, the millionaire prodigy inventor that comes up with, you know, all of these things. Like this is the Dang Industries jetpack, and if you'd like one, you can get your own Dang jetpack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but I, for
2: instance, every choice you're making about something you wear, thank you, yeah, thank you, should be something you should you should consider. So we can, we correct yeah, and thing. it is
4: accessories that create the outfit. So think about those accessories and why you're wearing them. You know, why are you wearing the badges that you wear? Have a story for every little thing. And you don't have to have it immediately, but be prepared to come up with something.
5: What's this one for? Um, and for we didn't I know we didn't have uh, the handouts. We, we ran out of time to print them out. But if you contact me directly, we can get you a list of some of the questions that we've been suggesting as stepping off points creating your persona.
4: Now we have to give up the floor because there's another uh, group coming in here. Thank you very much for your time. We will have tomorrow... Uh, up here is—I'm uh, not sure if it's this room or the one next door. It's going to be one of the two of them. But the Atlantean artifacts roadshow. So feel free, feel free to bring an artifact that you want to know something about, and we'll tell you a little about your artifact. Uh, we have our pool party tomorrow night, five to seven, down by the pool. For wear your best Victorian swimwear. If you don't have Victorian swimwear, wear any swimwear. No swimwear. We don't care. Just come on down to that and and then, of course, extemporaneous dramatic readings on Sunday, which some of you are familiar with, some of you are scared of. <laughs> Thank
2: you. We will we'll be available Thank you again for coming out here, folks. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D, Journey of the 5th Edition, and Scion, Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.
2: Did you find that useful? We, 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 we didn't want to like, get too in depth. i keep this sort
4: light as a on one type thing, but we wanted to get on some the major things.
5: Thank you so much for coming. Did you enjoy Did you find it